like and comment on our YouTube videos and subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can listen to us everywhere podcasts are found at 16 millimeter film crew podcast. Leave us a rate and review. You can support us on anchor. You can visit us on our website at www.16millimeterfilmcrew.com. So this week is super exciting. We're talking about a couple great things that are coming out. The first is Intergalactic 2022. This was created by Scott Meskety, otherwise known as Kid Cudi. If you are a hip hop fan or any of the things of the sort, you know Kid Cudi um, and Kenya Barris, who obviously made Blackish. So here is your synopsis. Ambitious artist Jabari attempts to balance success and love after he moves into his dream Manhattan apartment and falls for his next door neighbor. Um, this is a this was supposed to be a television series, but is a TV special now. So I'm not. Maybe it's a series, maybe it's a movie, maybe it's just a TV. I don't know. But um, <laughs> basically, this tele, let's just call it a television special. It's um, directed by Fletcher Mules. And it's starring Scott Meskiti, Jessica Williams. Ty Dollar Sign, Timothy Chalamet, Laura Harrier, and Vanessa Hutchins. All right. So, Dale, what did you think about this TV special show movie? Yeah. Extravaganza. This, 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 uh, what is it? Uh, this experience. Cause don't know if it's supposed to be a movie or it's supposed to be a TV show. If they're still doing a TV show, don't know. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, this, not of like a secret that much that um rom-coms are probably one of my favorite genre of cinema mm-hmm. you know all the stalwarts of film got their start on rom-coms because it's a well-rounded medium you got your drama you got your comedy you got your romance but um yeah i i thought it was kind of safe in a way mm-hmm. um and i do have some issues with uh the choice of, I guess, imitating the Spider Verse style, but mm. go. We can go further in depth once you give your brief synopsis review. Yeah, um, I liked this more than I was expecting to, and that sounds like dumb coming from me because I'm a huge Kid Cudi fan, huge Timothy Chalamet fan. So it sounds like stupid that I wasn't as hyped for this as I should have been, but. Yeah, I just get kind of nervous whenever Scott decides to like act or do stuff just because like that's not his field of like expertise, I'll say. Like he isn't really like an actor. I thought his voice acting was decent. Like I it was better than I thought it was going to be, but there are still some issues with his voice acting. I feel like voice acting is a very specific kind of acting like you it's a different kind of thing that you have to do um, in terms of storytelling when you're not being shown and it's being, it's animation being shown. So it's like, yeah. And I don't know, we can go more in depth now. Cause it's like yeah. my review is my, my overall feeling was like, I did like it. I liked, I'm not a rom-com girly at all, but this <laughs> was, this was a nice twist. Like this was enough of a difference to kind of make me at least be interested in the story. Cause I'm not really, because I knew where it was going to go, but I at least had some fun along the way. I don't know. Yeah. So, like, I think one of my main probably issues of it has to do a bit with uh, the voice acting in a way. Oddly enough, I think Ty Dawson did an amazing job for some reason. 
<laughs> with his voice. Yeah, he did do good. Yeah, he did. But it's it's clear when you're dealing with um actors, especially Kate Cuddy's done some acting, but he's not an actor actor, and you have other actors whether the amount of work they've done in different formats. You know, Timothy's a film actor. He's not really a voice actor. So even though he has an acting background, his voice acting wasn't that good. Um, then you also have uh, Jessica Williams. She's known for doing stuff on Comedy Central. She's on screen, but she hasn't really done voice acting. So you can kind of see the discrepancies when there are scenes where actual actors who have voice acting um, in their filmography are acting as actors who don't. Like, uh, you have Macaulay Culkin. He did a lot of animated stuff when he was in the 90s, even though he was a child actor. Has voice acting experience. You saw when he came on screen as Downtown Pat. His, he didn't sound like he didn't sound like himself either. He, like, gave, gave himself another twang to his voice. Like, mm. if you didn't really, like, if you didn't, if you didn't... If you didn't know it was him. Yeah, you wouldn't right. have known. But then again, one of the subtle strong points of this was an animated movie where they animated the characters to look like actors. So I, I do think that's a good job. I love when animated features do that. Um, Vanessa Hutchins just did some Disney stuff, voice acting, knows how to do that. Even, you know, Jaden Smith, he did an anime on Netflix, so he does have some voice acting experience. You could tell there when they were emoting as these characters because it's very limited. They were doing what they do in like theater, kind of over-exaggerating, playing to the cheap seats with their voice. And you could really see the discrepancy in it when like there was a scene where a Cuddy as uh Cuddy, he's like falling through like the the subway, he's falling, he goes to a oh, building, yeah. and he starts going, ah, whoa, whoa. And he's like, it's so bad. And you're like, oh, that's because he's not an a voice actor. He doesn't know how to sell. Like usually you trip, you go, whoa, and you catch but animation they go whoa they kind of make it bigger than what it is so yeah that's the i think one of the key issues will be sometimes when you're looking at them through what the characters are emoting on screen and how they're delivering their lines in the same and also in a lot of scenes the animation didn't really give me enough emotion to what's going on it's like an um uh Laura Harrier, her character, when she'd do the side eye and stuff, she do it just her eyes would always look the same. There's literally no expression to her character. So Yeah, I I agree with that. Um, well, yeah, the last part. I yeah, I think that the voice acting was probably like one of the weaker bots for me. However, I will say that. I thought Timothy Chalamet did a great job. <laughs> I thought he was very good in this role, mainly because he has, like, he got his start in theater. Yeah. So that is his background. Like, he does know how to do that, at least. Like, although, although I think the animation stuff like that and voice acting is new for him, I didn't think he did a good job. Obviously, I don't know. I think the person who did, like, the best job to me out of everyone was probably Vanessa Hutchins, which is crazy, but, like... <laughs> yeah. Her, Ty Dolla Sign, thought that they were really good. Um, Christopher Abbott, who also was in this, thought that was good. Um, so, like, there were people who, like, did a good job. There were people who did a serviceable job, and there were people who did less than expected. Like, not as good. And I definitely think Scott's one of them. And that's kind of tough because it's like you are the lead of the show. So yeah, like if you're you not carry, you're carrying it. So you gotta be on point. Exactly. And that and it and it wasn't. It wasn't really on point. Although it wasn't as bad as I thought it was gonna be. Cause Scott to me, Scott has like a really nice voice. 
that's he has one of those voices that have been like damaged by like cigarettes and weed over many many years like it's that but it doesn't have the sound but it does sound good sometimes like when he talks but again talking isn't acting like it's not the same thing so because of that the voice he has like a lisp or something like that he has something I don't know if it's a lisp or whatever, but that was that's pretty noticeable, like in his everyday speech. So there were definitely some dialogue that I didn't understand what, what he was saying because I was like, "What?" So it's like you can't you can mumble on your music, but you can't mumble if you're going to voice act. Like that's not you can't do that. So yeah. um, I thought Jessica Williams was okay. I I didn't love like the the voice acting from her and i think it's tough because it's like if they're both of our leads and we're trying to follow this love story you know obviously when you're voice acting you're not doing it with other people like you're in the studio by yourself doing it and i feel mm-hmm. like i could really feel that distance like it, even through this like i didn't feel chemistry yeah. at all so i felt chemistry between scott and timmy and ty dollar sound like they like they all seemed like boys but like everybody else it kind of seemed very distant um yeah i didn't like laura harry's voice acting at all like i i really didn't like that that was like that was the worst one for me i was like "Mm -mm." because certain people's voices just sound better i guess when you're doing it and i just her voice was like taking me out of the entire situation like it was really hard for me to pay attention but i will say that i really liked um some of the animations like you said i like how the characters looked like the actors and i also liked the production of like like the setting so like every room every space everything felt really authentic to like whatever that character is or who they are supposed to be portraying in this so like i definitely believe that like laura harrier's character was very like an uptight like perfectionist like she had the worst sayings <laughs> kind of framed in her house like perfectionist up- <laughs> kind of thing yeah like slay queen like it's, it's gross like i hated it i hated seeing all of those posters <laughs> i was like this is disgusting but it did seem very fit to her character. Like Scott's apartment looked very fit for his vibe. So, and I guess it's also kind of weird because it's like, if you follow, if you follow Scott for a long time, a lot of it doesn't seem like it's like that much of a stretch. Like he's playing a character. It very much feels like he's just playing a version of himself. Yeah. So I don't know how to feel about that either. Cause it's like, I don't know. It's not like an, acting thing it's more just like it's more you especially it's more you. yeah, yeah. And, so you, and it's like you would have to know who this person is to really understand like everything that's going on yeah you know what i'm saying yeah yeah and, and that's the thing i think like i think that's the usual issue if you're the writer like director and an actor in the project no matter what format it is and you, you can kind of, I think it's a thing, oh, I know this, I wrote it, I can kind of coast with it and still be fine. And I think that's what how it came off, not to the degree that usually happens, but that's how I feel like it was easy for him because it's he's basically, I'm writing me mm. in a way. So it doesn't really, he had to put a lot of work into, you know, being the character through just a voice in a way. Right, yeah. And so it is interesting. It's almost like, 
it felt to me almost like the same way Marvel does their movies where it's like you have to watch all the movies in the shows in order to watch the next movie or else you'll be lost. Like that's kind of how it felt like with this where it's like if you haven't listened to Mr. Rager, like if you haven't listened to like all these other albums, you haven't listened to any interviews, you don't really know who he is or what's going on. And maybe let's just say you're a fan of, I don't know, Jessica Williams or Ty Dollar Sign and you just came to the project. I feel like you would kind of be lost a little bit, even though it is a story about love and it's not exactly him, obviously. It's not copy and paste. This is the character. But so much of it, I feel like, comes from Scott's own experiences as an artist and, like, as a person. So it kind of funnels it. So, like, it's fine. Like, you'll catch it. It's not, like, the audiences aren't dumb. Like, they can definitely pick it up. I'm just saying, like, it does seem like you would you it's I guess you would have more fun with it if you know all this stuff versus if you don't know and you're just kind of approaching it like oh this is like an animated rom-com I think you'll get more out of it if you know stuff about him is what I'm really trying to say I I got there in the end took me a little while yeah this is kind of like I think this project kind of evolved from you know being a series to be almost kind of after a while to be more kind of like uh, Beyonce does now in her visual projects in a kind of a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a showcase for Cuddy's music, setting the soundtrack. Like, mm-hmm. I think if you listen to all the songs featured in this, this uh, project alone without watching the movie, you could still get the story that's being told, which I do like things like that. I like when albums in a, in a whole tell a story. I don't like, I think that's one of my major issues with Drake as an artist. He, to me, he makes singles. I don't get a complete, you know, story. <laughs> listen to his stuff, so I enjoy stuff like this. But yeah, it's it's. I think animation, voice acting is really important, and then not just the voice acting. I think my other gripe, along with the voice acting, was the animation. I think mm-hmm. going with a style that's reminiscent of Into the Spider Verse probably did more harm than good with it. Um, and the company went with um, uh, DNG was it DNEG Animation? Their home company of uh, DNG DENG, you know, works a lot of those a lot with Marvel doing visual effects stuff. But I don't, I don't think um the animation team behind it really understood wholeheartedly as to why things were in um into Spider Verse when making this movie because like. This whole movie, everybody's motion chop, kind of like how Miles was in Into the Spider Verse. But they were like, "That's the reason for because Michael Miles was unsure of himself, and it's not until the end he becomes as fluid as everybody else in the animation style." So I was assuming if they're thinking on that same wavelength of mimicking the style of that movie, I assumed when they actually got together or re got together, both characters would move fluidly in the midst of their mm. relationship, but it was still really choppy. And stuff mm. so and also because of its choppiness, the expressions with animation, usually animation, you you get very big, you get very loud, you get very disproportional, even though you're trying to match human proportions, your expressions kind of are more whole, you know, or larger mm. in life. And a lot of these expressions that were delivered in this as far as animation is really was really dry and really weak. So and I think and I think had one like when you have weak voice acting and then animation that's not expressive as it should be, when you have both of them not working, it kind of diminishes the project. If if the voice acting had not been up to par and the animation been spectacular, 
like expressions and how people are emoting visually with the animation style, it probably would have you probably wouldn't have noticed the voice acting as much because you're still getting what you want from the animation. And or if you know the animation is substandard, but the voice acting is amazing, you could still go off how the voice is projecting and emoting audibly what they're saying. But when both aren't there, it diminishes the quality of work in the project. And I think that's what happened with this. Mm, yeah, yeah, I feel that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't know how long it takes to really have something that looks really good because I thought that animation took like years and years to complete. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he announced this in 2019, so it's only been like what three, three years? Three yeah. years? July. It was July of 2019. Netflix mm-hmm. announced it, and then he announced it September. Um that I guess it was done. He can't wait for everybody to hear it. See, he announced in September of 2021 that he couldn't wait for everybody. So I think, right. I think from the announcement to September, I think everything, they kind of got everything done. Mm. I guess, I guess in a way. Yeah. So maybe if they spent more time on it, it might have been better in terms of how it looks and stuff. I mean, we can't do anything about the voice acting, but in terms of like how it looked, I think if maybe they spent some more time on it, it might look better. I don't know, though. Mm. Maybe. Um, I do agree with you, though. I think that it's really interesting when artists choose to represent their music in different ways. And I like that he chose to do something different with this album. Um, the music was one of the highlights for me. I do have to say the music was bomb. And I'm about to listen to that entire soundtrack when I'm done with this. So um, I'm excited about that. But... Yeah, and I also like that this was like an ode to Virgil Abloh and like yeah. all of the costumes and stuff like that was like designed. It was like all off-white stuff and for the guys and whatever. So I I loved that because, I don't know, Miss Virgil, I feel like, I don't know. I feel like I haven't seen much of him lately. Like like since he died, it doesn't. it just doesn't feel like his memory has been like, out there and held up it has by the fashion community but i haven't really seen anyone else really so it was nice to see this that's all i'll say it was nice to have an ode to virgil um and i also in terms of like the actual story though like what happens in this i thought that it was like fine in terms of like a regular rom-com boy meets girl boy falls in love with girl and then they end up together. I thought it was interesting that there wasn't any queer people in this. That was a little weird. Um, But I just, I also feel like, I don't know. I think the character of Jabari is, it was seen, it seems like they were really trying to make him like a good person, but also the decisions he makes, I was like, what? Am I still supposed to think that he's just like this charming, great guy when he's like, doing things that i i don't know personally i wouldn't i don't agree with but i mean maybe some people are just like yeah that's fine that's just how things work so maybe that's just like a me thing in terms of like the actual story of what this is yeah i think the first act a bit like he splits up like the show or whatever the movie into chapters that first act where you're expecting you know the cute meet to happen and it's just you know they meet, but they don't meet. They keep passing each other, or he's somebody's like he's carrying something so he can't see your face. You know, he's just jetting by. Sorry for not getting your phone, but he's like jetting by on um, 
his bike, his bike, and they don't really catch each other. They're they're all these ships passing in the night moments, which I do love. Mm-hmm. When Ron comes, I kind of I think the idea of the cute meet where instantaneously everything happens is kind of because not it happens, but it doesn't. This it's not realistic in a way. There's usually you're the person the person you get with is usually the person you've kind of seen like not there they're in your peripheral in kind of sometimes. Um I think somebody mentioned this kind of a um, homage in a way to Harry Met Sally, which I do think that's kind of spot on with Harry with, with Harry Met Sally, they kind of you saw them um interact over a period of time like oh they'd be each other this time talk and connect this time and they never really got into a relationship because they were always with other people so i I do feel like i like that aspect with this movie where they never really got a chance to connect but i do feel like once they got together it kind of just went rushed mm-hmm. in the moment and we didn't really get to see much of it was just um b-roll of you know them falling in love and then it's he's like yeah i never feel any way about this person before like and it kind of felt over over like a week you know so yeah i was like how long has it been and then when him and laura harrier got in an argument i found out it was only like a month yeah i was like oh okay it seemed like it was longer than that they i don't know the way that they framed it made it sound seem like it was over like many months that they were falling in love and then I was like, oh, wait, no, the art show hasn't even happened yet. And she said that was a, in a month's time. So yeah. I was like, wait, where are we in the timeline? Like, I was actually, conf- that confused me for a second. I was like, what's going on here? Yeah. Because he's breaks up with Laura Harrier in the beginning of the, so before the movie starts, that's where he's at, right? And then he get they have like a little one night stand, whatever. That ends. There's him and Jessica keep passing through the night, right? And not actually meeting. And then they finally have the meet cute. And then they have that one date and then they start dating, but then they're not official. So when he goes over to Laura Harrier's house to kill the rat, it's like, um, why are you doing this? Cause my thing was like, okay, why are you going over this girl's house that you broke up with and you have a girlfriend? And then I realized that they weren't even exclusive. So it actually doesn't matter. And so I was like, okay, well then does she have the right to be upset? Like, I don't, and now I don't know. Yeah. I don't I don't know the rules here. And then also they get back together because I don't know why they get back together. I guess because they never felt this way before. But also, like you said, it's like we saw everything in a montage. So there's no so we don't actually know why they're into each other other than like <laughs> they're just cute and they're both artists. Like that's yeah. that's all I got. So oh. But maybe that's just the rom-com formula where it's like, you don't even need real reasons. Just get them together by the end of the movie. I, I mean, and as, as a lover of rom-coms, I do think sometimes it, they kind of go over. I would like a kind of realistic rom-com where people get together and then um, and at the end, they like break up like this. Like, like, like I sometimes I think rom-coms, they like they do the whole like when I say rom-coms, I mean modern rom-coms where they like kind of fold in, they kind of hallmark TV or TLC, every kind of relationship. Oh, they, it's a it's a thing that happens. And then they get back together 10 seconds later. Sometimes you you break up, you 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 break up, break up like, yeah, that's that's it. it's over. <laughs> and so. Yeah, I think that's my. I think that's my real issue. It's like, oh, we're gonna take this one. I iso- like, oh, your your ex girlfriend texts you, 
with your sweater and I'm a, I'm instead of confronting you and asking you about it, like a mature person. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna put a I'm gonna put a scenario in my head and we're gonna break up off of that. And then you go to me and tell me, Yeah, I just went to her house, nothing happened. I'm still gonna play the like, you know. I was like, Yeah. <laughs> like like yeah. Yeah, Doing it's not cool. great. Yeah. Yeah, it's not great. So and that's the thing, it's also it was very predictable. Like I knew exactly what was gonna happen from like one stage to the next. Yeah. But I still thought it was funny. Like there were lots of lines that I like actually laughed at. And I think that it was like a nice spin on the rom-com. So I'll just give it its prop for that. Like, I mean, I think people really, I think from the review that I saw, people do actually like this. And I'm not saying I don't like it. I think I do like this. Yeah, I actually like it. But in terms of like just being, I guess, a little bit more critical and like nitpicky, you can kind of see like the areas where there could be improvement. So... And I, and, I, and I think those areas for improvement were probably due to the fact that it probably got shortened in a way. Because if it was supposed to be a, a limited short series, probably all these moments probably would have been fleshed out more. Yeah. But I, guess, I guess somewhere in the whole pipeline of going from um, series to, to um, movie, something changed. Because if you, if you look up Intergalactic on... Um, on um Wikipedia it says it's a TV special, you know. Or, you know, you look at um Kenya Kenya Barris's um it says it's a TV series. Like that like somewhere along the lines from transitioning from T from move from TV show to movie, the the story got really truncated. So all those moments of growth that we probably would have had um probably went out the window. Um I do okay. find it's funny where they're talking and Jaden's character pops up talking about, yeah, I just don't talk to this girl no more. And then Cuddy's like, you can't just ghost people. You, like, you got to talk to them. But that whole time, he has yet to contact uh, Jessica's character. I was like, you can't be telling this man he can't ghost people. And then you go with your sister like, yeah, I haven't talked to her, even though I've never felt this way about a person before. You're essentially doing the same thing. And the fact that she thought, you know, we broke up, I guess, without actually breaking up or being together. And Jessica Williams' character was like, yeah, I thought he'd show up anyway to my my gallery. I'm like, baby girl, y'all broke up. Why do you, ex- why do you expect him to show up? Like, but they didn't break up because they weren't even yes, together. Exactly. So the so happiest like... expectations do not make any sense at all. That's one of the things that really took that just made me angry. I was just like stewing watching this a little bit because I'm like, there's this, there's this like a uh, social media app, dating app that they keep kind of promoting throughout the entire film, right? And then they at the end they're like, oh, you know, it's a scam, blah blah blah, and basically setting up like, oh, how we interact with people online is not, I guess, or is like an inferior way to meet people and have relationships that are authentic. But yeah. then you do mess like this when you're not even you're not setting boundaries, you're not setting any clear um any clear like narrative of like what you actually are. Like you're not labeling anything. Like you're just going from feeling to feeling, moment to moment. And my thing is like, how is that better than going on sploosh or whatever the that name of that <laughs> dating app was like? Just hooking up over and over. Yeah, again. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're not communicating anything like, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, 
I didn't really get that. I'm like, your y'all situation is just as messy as someone who was on that app, I'm sure. Yeah. So like, what's going on? Because <laughs> I, I do think had they actually, because we don't, they don't really tell, they don't tell us if, you know, they're actually dating his boyfriend and girlfriend or if it's just, we'll go, we'll see where it goes. Because I do yeah. think in those moments that we got truncated as a montage, I do think in those moments, they would have probably had a conversation like, yeah, I was with this girl she's my ex like you don't just date somebody and fall head over heels to the way they were without even sometimes in the first date conversations of past relationships do come up so like, i've kind of find it weird that his is his most recent relationship comes up instantaneously once they're at their precipice of being together and just destroys everything like that would have been something that copping because especially with cuddy's character saying oh i'm i'm assuming we're just friends we're not dating it we're not together and you have uh laura's character thinking oh there's potential for us to be friends he would have told you know just go character like look i have an ex blah 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 we're just friends now so mm-hmm. she would have known he's already set that boundary personally with her so even if she got the text message she'd have been like oh what's this he's like nah i went over I probably left my sweater there i don't know why she's sending that kind of message like that and then you'd have discussion like where it goes to her apartment she's like oh i thought there was still a chance for us to be together that mm-hmm. kind of thing so yeah but yeah my thing is like that's the thing is like if he if they were clear on where they were at but or or even just like having respect for the person that you're seeing even if it's well i don't know i don't know i don't know how much respect people have for casual dating but in terms of like if you've never felt this way before which is what he said why are you over her house anyway? Like you can't. I, I can, like I'm I not. Can, I, can I, I can't. I can't be the only guy friend you have to go kill this rat. Like you have other people, and that's what that's what I'm saying. True. Yeah. Like, don't you feel like it's slightly inappropriate to go over to your ex's house to help them out with something that's not even serious? It's not even like a, a family member passed or anything like that. Like a serious event. It's like okay, yes, I understand. Maybe I can go over and help you out. But just to kill a rat, and you didn't even kill the rat. So it's like, why are you over her house at all? Like, yeah. that's my question. If you never felt this way about I'm, this new chick. I'm, like, I'm, I, have, I, I have questions. I mean, I don't know. I kind of see it in, in, like, and this is where I think some guys do mess up on this shit. I can say it from my point. Like, I do think once you have it in your head that, oh, we are just friends, you're in your every, you're not thinking of, you're not thinking beyond that. So he's like, oh, I'm just going to help a friend who I've known. He says, I've known her for 10 years, you know, whether it's dating on and off or just being friends. Like, I've known her for 10 years. I'm just going over to help her deal with a rat. And that's it. He wasn't thinking anything beyond beyond that. But I do think, and I do think that scenario for Cuddy's character in the scenario probably is a bit of a cautionary tale for guys in general because a lot of guys do think like that they're like mm-hmm. yo we're not together but she's still the homie though she don't she the homie i'm gonna go help her out not knowing that could create an awkward situation with your current you know girlfriend so yeah. and i understand that everybody in relationships like you can't just cut people off just because you're you're in a relationship you got to understand how some things might be construed and you got to set boundaries like if you got a random text like oh i know we dated but you know there's a rat in my house i'm like i'm not a i'm not pest control why are you calling me like you know you got to know what to set those boundaries that's what i'm and that's all i'm saying and even if you went over her house i feel like you should at least tell your new person that yes i went over to my friend's house to help them out you know what i'm saying like she didn't say anything 
or let, or let her know beforehand oh yeah i just got a call yeah I'm a, you know exactly so. if you want to play it that way yeah. so when be i would still have questions but even if you did that i think i would feel a little bit better but he didn't say nothing so it was like who was this random person hitting you up in the middle of the night you know what i'm saying like it just looks bad but and yeah. not even just that how are they confused cell phones at that point if you look at the scene where they're going to get she's on the side she's on one side he's on the other when i go to sleep no matter where i am like hotel wherever i'm at i don't chill if i'm crashing somebody's house on their couch my phone is usually next to me where i'm sleeping charged somewhere why is your phone charging next to your next next to somebody like away from you like Mm -hmm. and also like your phone is open doubt it your phone Doubt is just on like, I'm yeah, locked. Doubt it. I, I can understand Doubt that. It. I can understand that maybe it popped up on the screen, but I, but that don't even happen anymore. Don't happen. You know, yeah, don't like happen. you might. But anyways, oh so, yeah. So, that's why I say. <laughs> yeah, so that's why I feel like the in fact that they crammed the movie into like the show into a, a, a movie, all mm-hmm. those moments kind of got rushed into a nonsensical way. Yeah. I mean. What the, what's the rule? Like, if life doesn't make sense, but movies have to, and these micro interactions in the way was you could cannot kick a dog to some degree don't make sense. So yeah. yeah. Mm. Anyway, wrapping up. Final thoughts. Final score on Intergalactic. I'm gonna give it a. Uh, I will give it a seven out of ten. Mm-hmm. Uh, for of for Cuddy's first project where he's like the man in charge thought it was still even though with those issues with animation and the plot points so that probably for your first attempt i still think it's an amazing job mm-hmm. um of course the music is on port um i do think he got a well-rounded cast of people even though there are issues with them actually voice acting effectively um there are certain characters i wish got actually more screen time like jaden's to agree or probably um Macaulay Culkin's character too. If you probably spent a little more time with her uh, friendship with Vanessa Huston's character, mm-hmm. you know, more screen time with that. But um, for first attempt, seven out of ten, it's not it's not bad. There's plenty left to grow and improve upon. You know, for a, mm-hmm. a wonderful project. So yeah, yeah, I think that's a good score. Seven out of ten. I'm feeling that too. Um, I'll give it a seven point five because the music. But yeah. Um, yeah, I really liked this. I really did like this. Like I actually had fun yeah, with it. And I, I think if like you it. don't if it, I think if you don't think about it too much, you'll have fun with it. Yeah. When you start to think about it a little bit more, it it, it kind of Yeah. There's a little souring that goes yeah. on, but if you don't think about this and you just jump into it to have a good time, like you're going to have a great time. So I <laughs> I think it was fun. I think it was um, really interesting as well. I like that Scott is like really trying his hand in different parts of creativity. I think that's what makes, that's what keeps you relevant. One as an artist, but two that keeps you creatively um, fulfilled when you're mm-hmm. just continuing to do different things. And I think that he's doing a really good job at that. And honestly, I love everything that he really does. Um, and I think as a first attempt, like you said, this was a really strong first attempt or first offering in yeah. terms of animation and, and the cuddyverse yeah. <laughs> and the cuddyverse yeah exactly because knowing him he's already set the platform he's gonna probably do a mr rager miniseries and probably you know bring uh keith david keith back to voice him in some 
you know, or, or Keith David back at somewhere for him and voice him. Mm. Yeah. We'll see what happens. We'll see. All right. Um, but moving on from that, of course, got to give you the box office news and numbers. Um, so it's kind of been a very up and downish box office. Um, of course, we're in the presence of you know Spook Week. Halloween's coming up, so it's the perfect time for all our um more scary movies to come out. You've had we had Smile dropping. Um, we have of course a Halloween movie coming out soon. Of course, we've had of course two movies we're going to discuss later. You know, Don't Worry, Darling, Woman King. Um, you've had uh Billy Billy Ishner his um. His rom com, um, brothers oh, yeah, uh, drop as well. Um, so you have a little bit of variety until you we get more into the spooky season to a degree. Mm-hmm. Um, but domestically, the box office numbers, um, in 19 weeks, this I think is about to drop out of the top 10. Um, mm-hmm. Top Gun Mavericks dropped last weekend from nine all the way to 10. Um, DC Super Pets, um, is currently at nine. Bullet Train at eight. Barbarian at uh, seven. Um, I'm probably gonna sound pronounce this wrong. Um, Ponin, Savinia. Um, it's debuted at. It's an Indian movie. It debuted at number um six. Of course, you had Billy Ishner's brothers debut at five. Of course, Avatar re-release is still in the second week. It drops from three to four. The Woman King. That went from two to three. Don't worry, darling. Went from one to two. And uh, smile. Um, the smile, the horror movie. You know, uh, about a bizarre accent as well as a patient. Um, debuted at number one. So of course, a horror movie would st- would seal the box office weekend as we're in October into the drums of horror movie season. Um, but internationally. It's kind of a little bit well-rounded, of course, with Avatar being released. This re-release is getting more steam um, globally in some pockets and some places you have Ticket to Paradise, the George Clooney, Jerry Robbins uh, picture, which I think releases here in the States, I think next week or a little later. So, but that's gaining steam internationally along with Avatar. Um, of course, you have some pockets of Jack and Ball Spear, Woman King, where the crowd is saying, um, Japan still has Top Gun Maverick as an important movie, but yeah, it's kind of you know two movies mostly are Avatar and um, Ticket to Paradise dominating dominating the market internationally at the moment. Okay, so let's move on to the news. Um, first and foremost, the Black Panther Wakanda Forever trailer official trailer dropped today. So, um. I think a lot of people are excited about this movie and I know that there were a lot of questions about like who would become the next Black Panther after Chadwick Boseman's tragic death. And basically that's what the trailer reveals that it's Shuri. Shuri takes on the helm of Black Panther with a new suit. Suit looks good. Um, And they have um, new, you know, enemies in this one most of the crew is back the only person who's not back is um daniel kalula but i think everyone else is back for this one and um ryan coogler started writing the sequel right after black panther the first one premiered and obviously he had to do a lot of rewrites after chadwick's death and you know 
it's such a difficult situation to like figure out like how do you move forward without your lead um and also a lead who had made such an impact on this franchise and also like just in the market overall like black panther did very well and was like we've said before very culturally relevant so it was a huge task (laughs) for ryan and for everybody else at with on his team everyone at marvel to kind of figure this out and from the trailers it looks pretty good it looks like angela bassett is going to have a much bigger role in this which is exciting because i love her so much and if you're a black person like you've been watching angela for all your life and so it just feels good to see her like now in the mainstream and kind of getting that recognition i'm happy about that but would you say that she's now white famous I think she will be when this movie comes out. You know, <laughs> didn't she do the Tina Turner movie? She did the Tina Turner movie. Um, she did. She played, I think, I want to say Diana Ross. No, she played, um, was it Diana Ross? I know she was in a Michael Jackson biopic. I'm not sure if she played. Um, oh, she not, did, not that one. Okay. Yeah, she, not, not, the, not that one. She did, um, of course, I still got her roof back. And yeah. she did, um... Also, you know, people might actually know her from that. I know there's a lot of people who know still how to American Horror and American Horror Story. So Yes, 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 yes. So, so I think she's known, but I think this will really because you know Marvel is like a global thing. So like I yeah. think she'll be more propelled globally, which is awesome. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it definitely seems like Shuri's gonna be at the forefront and the Bassett at the forefront. And um they're fighting like a nation from like the sea. I'm not really sure about this nation. Don't know the comics that well to tell you in detail. I think it's called a new kingdom called Talokan. It's Atlantis, but they're give they're they're basically tying Atlantis. I'm, I don't want to mix up these indigenous uh, native Indian cultures. I'm not sure if it's Inca, Aztec, or Mayan, but they're delve they're using those influences and in modeling um. Uh, Namor and Atlantis off those cultures, kind of like what DC did using um the background of act of wow, I forgot that man's name, but Jason Momoa, Jason Momoa, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, using using his Polynesian uh background, him doing that into the, his character's backstory and culture, so doing the same thing with Aquaman as far as whose actor is of Mexican descent, so they're bringing some of that Mexican folklore stuff into um Namor and um. Atlantis. Yeah, he said it's El Dorado, an advanced El civilization Rado. hiding in plain sight. So <laughs> yeah, um, so that's that trailer. It has already has millions of views. It has like seven point seven million views already. So people are hyped for this movie. So now that the trailer's out, I think, and now that we know who's going to take over Black Panther, we can. I think it'll be interesting. I think, I think Letitia Letitia will do a good job. Mm-hmm. Um. Obviously, they're going to grapple with the loss of T'Challa and stuff like that. So, yeah. it'll be interesting to see. I'm, I'm, I'm rooting for her. I'm rooting for this project, especially you know, of course, dealing with a person. I think everybody from cast, crew, behind the scenes, like Marvel as a whole, became really attached to Chadwick because it's mm-hmm. obviously in his in his interviews or whenever he's being cast. Yeah, he's one of those people who draw you in. Mm-hmm. with a lot a lot of warmth and so she was dealing with that and a lot of personal stuff so of course they were gonna when they're feeling there were issues with her and her commitment to doing stuff because now the shoulder of everything falls onto her 
So I, you know, I hope she knocks knocks it out of the park with this because you know, of course, everybody, especially black people, want this movie to do be, do amazing. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, in other news, um, of course, we know um Will Smith. He had Will Smith's kind of you know I guess I, what I don't want to call it a comeback, but one of the projects that he had you know, he had many projects in the pipeline before the incident with um Chris Rock at the um Oscars, um his latest movie um uh, Emancipation did have a first did have a screening um uh the first uh, Monday well not the Monday had a screening Saturday um in Washington D.C. where they screened it in front of the um Black Congressional um. Uh, caucus, um, some HBCU people, Devon Nine, the National Negro Society of Women, but uh, basically a lot of Black political organizations in DC. Where Will Smith spoke, and Talk of the World spoke, um, Mary Elliott spoke, and he said throughout my career, he said he's turned down many films set in slavery. He said, mm. but this film is about a Harvard man that we would call the first foul image. Of course, he's talking about this movie, the character, I'm not sure if he's playing it or um, if he's playing it, is the story of uh, Whipping Peter or Gordon. It's that iconic image of the, the back of a slave uh, rent and sundered due to his whippings. So um, hopefully it does well. Um, hopefully part of the issue with the release of this movie was for the slap during the Oscars, the movie kind of got shifted uh, to a possible 20, uh, 2023 date, but then it kind of did move to its uh, December 21 date. Um, of course, it's going to be an app that's going to get released in theaters December 2nd and then go to Apple TV app, app December 9th, which is kind of weird. Usually, with movies that are going to do a theatrical one, they usually do the um, well, they're kind of doing this because they want to film that window, I guess. Usually, it's the Apple TV run first, and then a theatrical release after. So this time it switch. Um, hopefully it does good because it's a true story of a person who experiences who's really a lot of people aren't taught in schools. We know mm-hmm. we seen the picture, don't know the story of the man. So hopefully it does well, and hopefully we see you know the rest of the projects you know Will Smith had in the pipeline come to fruition. So. Okay, and lastly, we are talking about Me Too. Five years later, has film festivals cleaned up their acts? Well, let's see. So, Danielle Elsner, who is head of a French film promotion agency, Uni France, came forward in 2018 with details of her sexual assault by an unnamed but well-known figure in the French film industry at a festival 20 years prior. And so a lot of these abuses that had been taking place in Hollywood, kind of right before everything kind of popped off with Harvey Weinstein and the Me Too and Time's Up movement happened at these film festivals from Cannes to Berlin. Like a lot of, they, I think they said hunting grounds were these festivals where a lot of industry people would be at um, or would attend. And so she, they say that I think a lot has changed at the festivals, but also in the industry in general in the last five years since Me Too. We've seen a feminization of the entire film industry with more women in positions of authority, which has created a greater awareness of these issues of harassment and abuse. Behavior that would have been accepted or at least not commented on just isn't anymore. Asking someone back to your hotel room for a meeting, for example, just isn't how things are done now. And the film festivals have also made concrete changes in response to Me Too, for example, can and others now have sexual harassment hotlines to report abuse. 
So I think this is like a series that um, the Hollywood Reporter is doing in terms of Me Too, like five years later, like how have things changed? How have things stayed the same? What else work needs to be done? And this is kind of one of those sections from the series. And I'm happy. I didn't realize actually until the Harvey Weinstein stuff, how like dangerous these film festivals were for young talent, for models, for people who would just be coming through, invited to the festivals and stuff like that. Um, I don't know. I didn't realize how dangerous it was because you do have everyone there and you are wheeling and dealing, like making deals. That's like what these festivals are for, as well as screenings and stuff like that. So you could just think that you're going to a meeting with someone and then it turns into something completely different that changes your life. So I'm happy that at least it seems like overall we're talking about abuse, sexual harassment, women just in general in terms of Hollywood, which is great, which is definitely needed. And I'm happy that it happens. There's definitely issues with Me Too and Time's Up, which I'm sure they'll get into in the other series. But I'm happy that festivals are at least trying to do things to protect people because, yeah, I mean, anything could happen at these things like and it has. Yeah. Yeah, I think those festivals, I think why I think it was so pervasive in film festivals, because and not even just the big film festivals, the smaller film festivals as well, because you have a lot of these people who. Like, of course, we know at Cannes last couple of years, a lot of these movies that premiere Cannes are big studio films who have, you know, the million dollar funding they need to, you know, launch these projects. And then from that point, it becomes a bidding war from, the, you know, who wants to buy the rights to it from whatever. And, but they're also bidding wars for smaller projects. And so a lot of these sometimes, you know, directors, first time directors, whether it's men or women, you know, actors who are, you know, funding these films themselves, who want to get to theaters with a distribution, um, you know, they go into these meetings hoping and praying, you know, oh, if I get this distribution deal to change, you know, my career, my course, if I'm a creative, I can do other stuff. And they're forced into these awkward positions like Harvey Weinstein at the time, Miramax, you know, the Weinstein group, a major distributor in Hollywood. Like, oh, if you do this for me, I will, you know, buy your movie off you for X amount. And so you're caught in an awkward place. And some, some people, you know, they decided to play ball and regret it, and some people they didn't. But I do think, in the long run, I do think the Me Too movement has become better for actors because in a continuation of the article, they were talking about how, for a lot of below the line people, though, it's actually hasn't changed because they don't have the clout needed to stop that. So I do think the industry has shifted and improved, but I do think behind the scenes, and there's probably a lot more left to do yeah okay this is the time that i've been waiting for our weekly recommendations mm-hmm. dale has watched don't worry darling i have been waiting to hear your opinions about this film please tell us everything um of course uh speaking of cancer for this movie did premiere cast to um you know great fanfare applause um and but in watching this movie, I kind of felt that the applause from critics kind of were warranted. I do think Hollywood and critics, in a way, love to pat themselves on the back whenever they do homages to time periods or classic Hollywood, in a way. 
Um, of course, mm-hmm. this movie is set in the 1950s, so, you know, for any critic who's esteemed, that's a big thumbs up. You know, a, 70, a 50s period piece that's, you know, gonna capture them no matter what. Um, I do think majority of the drama, probably some of it, might have been self-perpetuated to drum up buzz for this movie because initial reviews and on screenings from a lot of people, which we didn't get until, you know, recent to a degree where because NDA, NDAs exist for a reason, weren't um up to par. Um, This movie, I do think there is a good movie here. Um, I do think it kind of falls apart in some pieces. Um, This movie kind of amalgamates, you know, the whole Stepford Wives thing. Once again, Hollywood loves those kind of stories. The Stepford Wives, you know, 1950s, nuclear family, you know, that whole nostalgia, and combines that trope with the modern-day issues of incel and the men's um men's rights movement. Um, uh, where, um, and I know a lot of people are going to watch this on the mind spoiling in a way, where, um, Harry Styles' character, it's revealed, is one of these people, you know, later on, and they've been hypnotizing their wives and putting them in like virtual reality to a degree where they're they're in the 1950s. And when he goes off to work, he leaves the house, per se, where she's home. He's in the real world making way to afford to keep her there. Um, And it's clear if you read the original script, it's clear the original script is written by men. And um, I don't have the writer's name in my notes. But it's clear a woman tried to rewrite this and save the script um, to, you know, make it serviceable. Um, I do believe, I still do believe this level of project with the amount of actors in it probably was a bit too much for Olivia Wilde. Um, I do feel after a while, after reading, after watching the movie and then reading the script and then seeing the differences, like I could tell that a lot of these actors didn't phone it in, but they didn't give their your percent. Um, you could see in Watchers movie, I think that's the issue Florence Pugh had with it, is that she's actually trying to do something with this movie. And I think that probably was the core issue, I think, with her and Olivia and also her also filming Dune. Um, it's also clear in the movie when Shia left and they cast Harry Styles. And in the movie, you kind of hear his accent go in and out. Like he's trying to do an American accent and it's horrible. And there's a point in the movie where they say, where a guy mentions that he, Harry Styles' character is British. He goes, Oh, what do you say? Keep calming Harry on. So I think there was a point in filming because I'll be honest, guys, if you don't know, movies don't film in sequence, they don't. I think there was a point in filming where they were like, Yeah, this dude can't do accents at all. So there are parts where his accents, his his natural accents, there, and his parts where he's trying to be somebody he's not. And I think they realized to a point where, oh, he can't do accents. We have to make sure people know that his character is British, so he can stop. And that's what they did. Um. So yeah, there is there probably was a good movie there. Um, I guess the subject matter is very timely. It's along the lines of you know. Uh, you know, Handmaid's Tale, those kind of stories. Um, but I, and I think there could have been more pulled out to it. There's a issue. One of the issues I think with the idea of Florence Pugh's character being trapped in a birdcage, as it were, is 
Olivia Wilde tries to subvert that in the sex scenes because in every sex scene, like there's no penetration, honestly. It's mostly a lot of heavy petting, a lot of a lot of, you know, softcore, you know, HBO Max kind of stuff. Um but um in the scenes it's she said, Oh, only the only Florence's character reaches reaches orgasm because it's giving her power. And that doesn't make any sense because it kind of doesn't fit the story you're telling. Because if you're using the sex scenes to kind of enhance the story, once we talked about last week, if the sex scenes don't enhance the story, they don't need to be there. Florence shoehorns these sex scenes into enhanced story, but she has it at the service of the female character who's having a negative experience, but her sexual experience is a positive one. It doesn't really fit thematically with what is going on. So you're not really subverting everything. You're just doing something stupid, which doesn't make any sense. Um, it's clear to see Kiki's character. There are multiple scenes where Florence hears her voice or sees images of her or even talks to her on the phone. It's clear they were probably having actual, there were shots of her on the phone talking to her or in those things that were cut. That's what Kiki's referring to. Because you really want to see Kiki, Kiki Lane's character like, three times. And the initial um, meeting where she's like, I don't feel well. And her scenes where her and her son go into the desert. And the scene where she kind of kills herself. And a scene where she bangs her head in, into glass, like for C. And for a character that kind of pulls Florence's character out of this malaise of this experience, you'd think she'd be there more. But then again, every other female character the same way. You don't see Gemma Chan that much. Um, so the only other female character who gets prominence, I wouldn't even say prominence, but gets a lot of speaking lines would be of course Olivia Wall's character as a secondary character. Um yeah, like there's a good movie there. I do think had they probably casted that shy as a placement properly. And honestly, you never know. We know how Shy is. Probably Shy probably would have did an amazing job with it. But I do think this project probably with the subject matter, what's going on, probably is not a good project to have somebody on their their set. Because there's a lot of subtext and stuff in a dealing with not even subtext, but connecting the whole Steppers Wise thing and the men's rights thing, which I don't think Florence executed well. And this the the whole mystery of the movie like this movie was really really nothing no mystery to it it was a lot of fluff you know a lot of you know in mid-century houses if you love those the architecture or the facts just in the 70s you're gonna get a lot of that but beyond that like the still core structure and plot of the story is kind of weak and um um minimal like based on the trailers and some of the scenes like there's one point where harry styles and Florence Jews are having relations and he's like fingering her and Chris Pine is just there watching and I'm thinking okay maybe the movie is her you know having an affair with Chris Pine's character and they go no there's like so many misdirections that don't really fit or make sense yeah, at some point so yeah like I said a good movie is there but it, the execution missed it by miles so Okay, so here's what I've been hearing and also like my own journey with this movie, right? Mm -hmm. So when I saw the trailers, I was like, oh, this looks really good. Like when they yeah. first came out. Yeah. And then as things progressed, I was like, I feel like I don't want to watch this anymore because I feel like I know what's going to happen. 
happen. Yeah. And yeah. that's because from what I've heard, most of every every single scene that's in the trailer is in the movie. In the movie. Yeah. So again, to what you were saying, there is no mystery. Like we already know what's gonna happen. Which if your whole what you're writing on is is it's a psychological thriller, which means that you have to keep people engaged into what the mystery is. But if you already give it away, then there is nothing like there's nothing left there. And a bunch of YouTubers I really like, and I watch their reviews all the time, they kind of broke this down like scene by scene, piece by piece. And a lot of the complaints were what, like a lot to what you were saying, actually. Mainly the fact that, you know, in terms of like world building or doing sci-fi or psychological thriller, that's not Olivia Wilde's wheelhouse. Yeah. So it's like a lot of things happen, but they don't add up to anything because things probably weren't thought about properly it was almost like oh they won't notice and then they kind of kept going in terms of like how they're presenting it so the, again the execution of the story didn't make sense because it seems like whoever wrote it or in the right or in the writing or in the rewrites it didn't there were things that were missing that didn't come together they were like oh this yeah. would probably be like a cool shot but it didn't lead or, anywhere or olivia's interpretation of what was rewritten because mm. I, I haven't I haven't read the rewritten script. What mm. we got in the screen, I've read I've read the original script. Um, and I I think if I remember correctly, it ends with her coming out of the simulation and it being in the all um, in 2030 and something like that. But in the actual movie, it it, it kind of has her showing up, like they flashback near the third act when it's in close and about it being a modern times where she's a doctor. And Harry Styles listens to a lot of, you know, men's rights stuff. And he, you know, gets into all that. And at the end of the movie, after she escapes, she's like dancing to music by herself and like a bunch of quick cuts in the house. Yeah. So. I mean, there, there are people who have really broken this down really uh, thoroughly. Yeah. But I think, again, another major complaint was that this was a story about, I guess, the patriarchy and how it destroys everyone but it doesn't say anything past that like it's yeah. just like patriarchy it's bad it's for and that's it yeah it's and and so that calls into question so many other things for me because my thing is like well the way it was presented in terms of marketing Olivia Wilde, how all of these like sex scenes and all stuff was so integral into the movie because it's about women getting their power back or whatever, but she's held captive, then it's not it's not power. That's abuse. No. So yeah. what so how does that so how does that score up in your mind in terms of like what the messaging you think is going on versus what's actually happening in the movie? Yeah. Confusing. And yeah. then <laughs> and then I guess all the characters I are like emulating like women who are internally misogynistic but nothing really i guess i'm not really sure what happens to those ladies it kind of just seems like everything continues to go the way that it was going to go anyways because the husbands like if you die in the simulation you die in real life from what i understand so now that frank is dead because apparently Gemma chan killed him um what's gonna happen now like are the are the incel men just gonna take a woman as a leader probably not probably not and <laughs> and, and, and beyond that like it's clear that uh frank chris pine's gonna die mm. he gets stabbed in the chest 
and it and it falls along you know she says this movie's this project and stuff they're inspired by the matrix shutter island all those things mm-hmm. um so of course if you die in the if you die in the game you die in the real world kind of thing so of course you know chris pine getting stabbed in the chest okay but harry styles kind of gets hit in the head with a, a cup with a glass cup you're not gonna die from that. you're gonna get knocked out you're not gonna die from that mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. and then when the first person who catches both of them you know is Olivia Wilde's character. She goes, oh, you got to get out. I've known forever that this is a simulation that Huss is putting us in here. And, she, and then Florence is like, what the fuck? What do you mean what's going on? It's like, yeah, I know. It's like, oh, you got to come with me. She's like, no, I'm staying because at least here my kids are alive. So that means the whole time <laughs> her characters know it's, it's fake. And then there are other wives who are trapped or who don't mm-hmm. know. Like mm-hmm. there's, there's a there's a key difference and this this issue of this movie is is trying to fight the patriarchy, but Olivia Wilde's character is not upholding the patriarchy at all. She's just participating for her because it fits her means, while uh, leaving other people who are casualties enslaved. Like Olivia Wilde is there of choice of her own choice, mm-hmm. but all the other wives aren't. Mm-hmm. See, and that's yeah, yeah, and that's that, a problem. That's yeah. why it doesn't make any sense. And I think had there been more time, that could have been a plot point and a key thing. Because honestly, tying a separate wild style movie to men's rights is not that hard because almost every separate wives style movie already does that. Mm-hmm. I think they could have focused on that and also give more time to the issue of Olivia Wilde's character knowing what's going on as far as patriarchal and also being a willing participant and enslaving other women, which Gemma Chan's character also also carries those. Because if this is uh, supposed to be about a real-world issue, there are a lot of women who are involved in these movements who are willing participants in it who don't care. So I think how they focus on that plot point more, they could have brought more out of the movie. And But, yeah. Yeah, it just seems like really messy... I feel like people were saying that Harry Styles' acting was fine, but against Florence Pugh, it's been a little against her. Yeah, (laughs) which is true. It's like I'm really curious about the casting choice. Like, why was he picked out of everyone else? Like every other young actor who could have played the role. It's a very strange casting to me, especially a casting that was supposed to be filled by Shia LaBeouf. And I'm like. How do you go from that to this? Like, I couldn't be more opposite in terms of like, and 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 that's why approach like, and that's why I kind of agree with the fan outcry of okay, Shia left, but the male lead is now your your boyfriend. Like, who doesn't have that much acting experience, except for a small bit in a movie, and then has another movie coming out, the the policeman, which also bombed with him as lead. It's kind of kind of weird how how do you how do you go replacing shia where was the casting decision going back at all the other capture options where the first one on the call sheet becomes the person you're dating with limited acting experience you know it's yeah curious (laughs) it's very curious but uh, i think they said that the production design was nice and the costumes are nice so oh it's the the aretha franklin effect beautiful gowns colorful gowns yes of course of course Um, but yeah, that's what I've been hearing mostly is that like this isn't a bad movie by any means. But I also think that the more you deconstruct it, it actually isn't that good. No, once so, you yeah. yeah, once once you deconstruct. My it- thing, my thing was like 
the, with all the drama, this movie better be amazing. Like that's how yeah. I felt about it. And then when I heard like, it was just, it was mediocre. Like it wasn't, if that, I was like, you, you wasted the hype. <laughs> it's, it's surface level skimming of the concepts is trying to execute. And it doesn't even really surface skim it that well. So. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, well, I yeah. sat through it so no one else has to. <laughs> hey. Hey, hey. Okay. Um, yeah, so I watched two things this week. I watched this documentary about the Velvet Underground. Uh, I don't know if many people know who they are, mm -hmm. if you're like our age, <laughs> but <laughs> they were very popular back in the 60s. They were part of Andy Warhol and his whole court like little cohort of artists. Um, Lou Reed, Walk on the Wild Side, if anyone knows that, whatever. After watching the David Bowie documentary, I was really interested to see like what else was going on during that era. And I've listened to a couple of songs from the Velvet Underground and I really liked it. So I watched the documentary and uh, in terms of like how the documentary went, it was fine. It was okay. I know the presentation wasn't like all that. There's way too much music playing throughout the entire thing. It's like, okay. But um, it was very interesting. I don't know how I feel about Lou Reed as a person. I don't think I like him pretty much, but interesting. If you like music, if you're into that music, art, whatever, it's on Apple TV. Um, and then I went to go see The Women King. So I watched The Women King with my mom um, because my mom's friend was like, oh, I want to hear your thoughts about this movie because apparently they're there's a section of the black community who don't like this movie because of let's say conservative um conservative perspectives on womanhood mm -hmm. let's say that yeah let's yeah that's how i'll i'll, I'll identify it as that <laughs> and then i'll get back to it but in terms of the women king i wasn't really like i don't know if i ever or if I was really intending to go see this movie initially, but after hearing all the reviews on it and then I guess being requested to watch it, um, it was so good. Like it was really, really good. The beginning was a little slow, but after like, I guess the first 30 minutes, it does pick up and it's actually really, like it's pretty fantastic. And I'm very happy for Viola Davis, for everybody, Gina, everybody who was a part of this because it's a really good movie. Basically, it's just about um, the 1800s. So I guess this is, this is still slavery time. An all-female warrior group protects the African kingdom of Daomi. It was skills and fierceness unlike anything the world's ever seen. Faced with a new threat, Nanisco, who's Viola Davis, trains the next generation of recruits to fight against a foreign enemy that's determined to destroy their way of life. Right. Gina Price Blythewood directed it. That's her. And... Lashana Lynch is in it. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce her name, but she was in the Underground Railroad. I think it's the Dusu. I'm not gonna try. I'm not gonna try. I'm not. I'm just gonna leave it there. John Boyega is in it. Ja Jamie Lawson is okay. I have to take a minute to talk about Miss Jamie. Jamie was in the Batman. If you remember the Batman, she played um, 
the the mayor the the, yeah. uh, yeah her she is amazing i'm so happy she's in this movie she is gorgeous and she was dressing it down like she was giving it to the girls like every look that she turned out during this entire film was fantastic i loved her character i don't like what they did with her they tried to make her look an annoying wife but i don't care like she shone through all that crap and she was amazing one of my favorite parts to be sure but um anyways that's just a side note the actual movie itself though it kind of has a whole bunch of different themes like it starts with like um a young woman trying to like escape getting married and so she comes into this all-female warrior group and that group um fights on behalf of the young king which is played by john boyega who also did an amazing job in this movie i'm so happy that he's like in more things like that makes me very happy um and they're like yeah they're the king's guard yeah basically so they protect the him and the entire community and then there's these other groups, these other tribes who are coming up against them, trying to, you know, take over, gain power. They don't like the fact that women can, like, kick their butts. So there's that. So there's that stuff. There's the young woman who's trained to be in it. And then there's a thing where, uh, I don't know if I'd spoil it. Mm. Go ahead, I don't mind. Mm. Okay. So... <laughs> Basically, the young trainee is Viola Davis's daughter, who she gives up um, because she was raped. She was raped by one of the tribesmen. So she gives the baby up and then the baby finds her way back into the situation. And so there's like a mother daughter coming to terms with giving up her child and the child having been abandoned and having to like live this very difficult life and trying to come to terms with that. And now seeing her mother in this position of power and you know, didn't even know there was a mom. So it's like coming to terms with all that stuff. And then you have the element of slavery and the fact that black people were selling other black people into slavery. Like that's how that happened. Um, and coming to grips with that because that's their tribe. Their tribe, the Viola Davis, whoever, and John Biega, he is, I guess, a part of the slavery or the slavers transactional thing because he will sell certain people to the market. Those people will be sold by other people on the auction block at like wherever that's at in the coast of Africa or whatever. And then they'll be taken on the boat and, you know, sent wherever they're going. So um, it was interesting to see it from that perspective because a lot of the times you'll just see like white people, white Europeans coming in, taking black people and, and, you know, selling them into slavery forgetting that there is a middleman there's someone who's there are africans who were doing that and a part of that culture and so i think that was really good that they highlighted it because unless you're familiar with that or you've been taught it in school or whatever you're not gonna know so it's i'm glad that they included it and then at the end they decide to stop selling people and i think that's good but like so you have that element one of the most interesting things i found was that um there is a portuguese slaver in his best friend who's biracial basically his mother was a part of their warrior troop so he goes back to see where his mother comes from and having that internal conflict of not really knowing where you belong in terms of like your race and then feeling like you have this close bond with this person but you are still inferior to in their minds because Mm -hmm. you're still black 
even though you're white and you guys grew up to, or you're partially white and you guys grew up together. I thought that was so interesting. I wish they kind of focused a little bit more on that too, but if they did, they would have been like, the movie would have been like three hours or something. It was already long, but there was so many different things going on. So many levels of like, feel like these women are warriors who are strong and powerful and they know how to handle their business. And yet they're still under control of a man. And so, yeah. and so that conflict, I mean, it's, there's just so many like different threads in this movie that were like gently touched on and some that were like fully um, explored. And I thought that that's what made this movie great. Cause if it was just about like these women warriors fighting another local tribe, I don't know if it would have been that interesting if it was just about like a slavery narrative. I don't think that would have been interesting either. So the fact that they were able to kind of hit these different levels of like different internal conflicts plus external conflicts, that's what made this movie amazing. And then you had Viola Davis, who's always great. But the girl, I wish I knew her name. I think it's, I just don't want to mispronounce it. I'm going to try. If I get it wrong, I'm so sorry. But I am going to try because I I have to talk about her. Um, Thusu. She's amazing. Um, she is so good. She's going for the Oscar. Like, honestly, there was a scene where Lashana Lynch dies and the way that she cried over her body. Like, I was like, you are going for the Oscar, honey. Like, I know an Oscar, I want you performance <laughs> when I see it. And it was definitely that. So she's amazing. I hope she gets something because she was she gave everything to this role. And I think everyone did. I think everyone did such a great job. Lashana Lynch is amazing. Like, I love her. I stand her. Like, she just was funny and charismatic and just gave so much dimension and, like, humor to a story that could be kind of just very serious and dowdy. Amazing, perfect. Like, I thought the writing was really strong. I, I mean, it wasn't, like, as stylized, I guess, in terms of, like, camera movements, but I thought that Polly, who was the DP, did a great job. The costumes were beautiful. The hair and makeup was incredible. The production design was wonderful. The music, which wasn't, I mean, the score was okay, but in terms of like the songs that the girls were just singing, like, I guess, I don't know. They probably didn't sing it live. They probably, or maybe they did in some scenes or they might've went back and recorded some of it, but the traditional African songs, those were so good. And I just, it's just beautiful to see like melanin, everywhere on your screen like just seeing black people just doing their thing like i don't know that's and seeing black people and black women especially who have been literally trampled on and disrespected throughout history just seeing them in a position of power um and a power that's not individual but it's collective like that is that was my favorite part that was literally my favorite part of the movie so I love this movie. I know it's going to get a whole bunch of stuff because people are already discussing it. But, and it's did well in the box office, which is important because I think that in terms of like representation, a lot of the times it could just be symbolic. And I think with this, it's substantive. So that's going to make a huge difference for people who want to make movies that are about black people like that. and, And it isn't in those same kind of realms of just like oppression or slavery or servitude. Like this was empowering in a way that wasn't like shoving it down your throat. Like a lot of girl boss stuff tends to be. So I think that this was just, this was an excellent film for the people who have criticism about, 
um, women being too powerful, the conservative peanut gallery who are talking about this and um, in, in the black community, which yeah. unfortunately there are a lot of. I don't know. I feel like, I feel like there are people, there are a lot of women who have a lot of internal misogyny and who don't realize their own power and who don't give themselves enough credit and who think that like a man or getting a man or being subservient to a man is the ultimate goal in life. Like that is their ultimate form is just to please men. Mm -hmm. Um, I would suggest those people watch this movie actually. And I would suggest that those people think about themselves better and differently because I don't think that showing black women not just being continually stepped on is in any way like I don't know I don't know what their thought process is really but I don't it can only empower you as a person watching it that's how I feel um and if that's not how you feel then this movie isn't for you I guess but I just feel like when you see if you watch this movie I feel like you would be proud of being a woman proud of being black like I just feel like you would walk away with those kinds of feelings not a feeling of I don't know I don't know what the feeling is I can't I really don't understand those section of people it's very confusing for me you know sometimes black men could be the white men of the black community with Mm. the way we think a lot of times um and I find it funny that everybody praises and says, oh, they love the Black Panther, they love this, they love that. The Dora Milaje are literally based on these real-life women. Like, it wasn't, yeah. it's not made up. These these women were mm-hmm. real. Um, And also, and it also comes, I think also part of that misogyny is, like you were saying, is a lot of times we're not seeing slavery in its entirety because you have to be honest with ourselves it wasn't just white people going there and just capturing people there are a lot of black people in africa who sold you know other black people into slavery for profit you know it's it's not a secret but i don't know why people try to pretend like it wasn't like warring tribes would fight each other take each other say sell some people for profit to when the europeans for guns and weapons to defeat their enemies it's, it's a no thing and I, and I think that goes back to that they don't want the whole we was kings. Not everybody was a king, you know. When we go back, or the or the fear of actually seeing the actual portrayal of slavery at its roots was other black people, slavery, black people. That fear of admitting it, that that negative reaction is is something they don't want to acknowledge that actually mm-hmm. happened like i refuse to actually acknowledge the truth of black people were culpable in slavery you know mm-hmm. it's just the same thing like in everything and every negative thing like we, we just talked i just talked about don't worry about there are many women who are culpable in men's rights movement you know mm-hmm. you see it's not when trump was elected a large swath of women who voted a large swath of white, white women voted for trump in every group racial group or social group or sex group there are always people who do counter counter to it but don't want to admit that they're seen as such and so when there's thrown in front of their face they they fight not to recognize it and i think that's what this movie does for a lot of a lot of black men because i think a lot of black men acknowledge and want the 
the approval of the patriarchy. Is I was mm-hmm. I was watching, I was watching a a clip between James Baldwin and I want to say uh, Nikki Giovanni where they're talking about it. And she goes, "You smile at the white man, you don't smile at me. At least lie and treat me the way you treat him." It's like, oh, I I can't. It's like, why can't you? You 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 disrespect me as a black woman all the time. Why can't you just pretend you love me? Because I get I get treated just as bad as you as by the white man, and sometimes works by my own people. So I think as as black people ourselves, as black men, we have a lot of internal looking to do that we refuse to do. So, yeah, that's very true. And for black women, it's the same thing. It's like, and it's really, it's super uncomfortable having to hear those kinds of conversations because it's like. I don't know, I guess maybe because I'm a, a different generation and influences I'm getting or, or the people who I'm listening to are very liberal. So maybe that's the reason why I have so much confusion around those kinds of conversations, because it's like, you know, I, I feel like as women, we have, we should be people who are having our back. Like we need to be having each other's backs way more than what's happening and when you see a film like this i just feel like it should be a celebration and so to have a backlash where you feel like this person isn't embodying the gender role that you're subscribing to because that's what you were told to subscribe to because again that's a part of patriarchy which doesn't care about you by the way um um that's very frustrating for me because it's like you know you you deserve better. We deserve better. That's how I feel about it. And I feel like when you see something like this, you should be happy that this exists and that people can actually start seeing black women as more than just disposable because that's what we have been seen as historically. And I just, I don't know, that really bothered me when I heard that that was their criticism. And I know it's not like a huge majority. Most of the people who I've been hearing have been talking about this movie. One have been white, and two, it's been glowing reviews, like absolutely glowing. So, you know, there's always going to be some, those folks. I just wish the mentality was different. But otherwise, than that, this movie was great. I definitely think that everyone needs to go see it. Like, mm-hmm. whether you, I mean, I would say see it in the theater, but just in case, like, if that's not an option for you, that's fine. Like, whenever it's available, like, just go see it because it's so good. I, I, and, and it's not this is I'm not gonna say it's not a celebration of black culture or black history because it is and I think people should support this movie one celebrating black women for in Hollywood for decades centuries black women as a whole have been always drawn the short end of the stick but this movie also showcases how talented all these black women are and also how powerful we all are as a community Mm-hmm. Um, and I know between like Till coming out, like we always get the bad side of slavery and black history. And I know a lot of people are not interested in that because it's it's like as you go older, you you remember the bad stuff a lot easier than you remember the good stuff. Like this mm-hmm. is one of the good things. The the good is here. I'm watching. Yeah. You have movies like this. You have Devotion coming out soon. Um. You know, 
you know, watch if you, if you don't want to watch the slave typical slavery downtrodden movie, watch these good movies when they show up and we can get more of them instead of getting the typical, you know, black person dies no matter what century it said it, you know, support these movies when they come out so we can get more good things. So, amen. That's a good note to leave it on. <laughs> And with that, that's the end of our episode this week. We hope that you're taking care of yourselves and having a good week. And we, oh, make sure to check out all of our social media, follow us on Letterboxd, support us if you can. And we will see you guys in the next episode. Goodbye. Au revoir.